name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So last week, if you were here with us, we began a a series of talks on the kingdom of God. And I told you last week that the kingdom of God is already, but not yet, meaning that according to, to the scriptures, the kingdom of God has come among us because the king has come and his kingdom has begun and begun, and we're a part of that kingdom. And it's a kingdom because Jesus is king. He has the power to rule. We are his subjects. He has a, a law or an expectation for us and he is going to rule over territory. The not yet part is that there is no territory to his kingdom at this particular point. Though he sits in heaven and rules over the universe, there is a day in which Jesus is coming back to rule over all the earth. And so he, so the kingdoms of this nation and this whole world will be the kingdom of our Lord. He'll sit and rule over all of us. And what a day. I, I think whenever I say that, the hymn line comes to mind. What a day of rejoicing that will be when Jesus becomes king over all and we sit underneath him. So that's what we said last week. This week, I, you know, I want, to, uh, I want to talk about something a little bit different. Last week, I told you that Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God, but I also told you that God is the kingdom of the God, uh, the kingdom of God, and the reason why both of those things are true, that Jesus is king and God is king, is because the Bible is really clear that, in my estimation anyway, the Bible is really clear that Jesus is God. And the Bible assumes, the Bible assumes from, from really early on that in the New Testament especially, that Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God. His birth is announced as the coming king that everyone had been looking for. His preaching centered and focused on the kingdom of God. Jesus kept saying, the kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God walks among you. And, uh, and even the pictures of Jesus throughout the New Testament point to his kingship over the kingdom of God. You'll remember that he wore a crown of thorns at his crucifixion. They put a robe on him. They made fun of him. You remember his conversation with Pilate. You say I'm a king? And, or he says, you say you're a king? And, and Jesus said, yeah, that's why I was born into this world, to, uh, to be a king. But I think the, the writer of Hebrews makes it just absolutely clear when he says, but of the Son, he says, speaking about God, your throne, O God, is forever and forever, and the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. So throughout the scripture, Jesus is portrayed as the king of the kingdom of God because he is God. This morning, as we talk about the king, or as we continue to talk about the kingdom of God, I want to, I want to talk about this. What is King Jesus like? What is this king we follow? What is he like? It, it, what can we say about him? Is he a strong king? Is he a weak king? Is he, uh, is he a selfish king? So what I thought I would do this morning is I would share with you three realities concerning the rule of Jesus. And then I'm going to look at three desires that King Jesus has for us. And again, these things could be much longer. We could, instead of three, I could talk about many realities of the kingdom, many more, I should say. And I could also talk about many more expectations that he has of us. But I'm going to just take three and three, and hopefully at the end of of this time, that you'll have a picture of what King Jesus is like. And and my, my hope and my goal is that, that you'll love him more. 
Maybe, maybe if you don't know him very well, maybe even today you might say, wow, I love this king and I want to be a part of his kingdom. So let's dive in and I want to share with you three realities concerning the rule of King Jesus. So that hopefully it will give us a picture of, of who he is as our king. First one is this, Jesus is a king who's willing to save his subjects, that means us, uh, at, the, at his own expense. He's willing to put his subjects ahead of himself. Last week, those of you that were here will remember that uh, Jesus told a story about how the king sent his servants out into the highways and the byways, inviting everyone to come in because people were rejecting him as king. The people that he came to first rejected him. And so he says, hey, go out into the highways and byways and just invite everybody to become, become a part of my kingdom. He left the choice with you, though. You could come or not come. So why should you come? If you're here this morning and, and you're not necessarily part of the kingdom of God, you don't feel like you're part of the kingdom of God, why should you want to be a part of this kingdom? Well, here's the answer, because Jesus as a king is willing and wanting to prioritize you. So Paul describes King Jesus in this way. He's writing to a church and he says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what Paul says about Jesus in the New Testament. Let's go back to the Old Testament. And I want to show you something that Isaiah the prophet, years before Jesus had come, would say about Jesus when when he did come. And here's what he say about him. He said in Isaiah 53, he said, he, speaking about Jesus, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sickness and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. So Isaiah says, you know, when we look at Jesus, when he comes in the future and you look at him, you're, you're going to see this, this fellow that he, he doesn't appear to be much, but he's going to be despised, and he's going to be struck down by others, and we're going to think that it's God that did that to him, that God was doing that to him, excuse me, because of something that he had done, right? But then Isaiah goes on, but he wasn't stricken or struck down by God and afflicted by God on his own behalf. He goes on and says, but he was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. And we all went astray like sheep. We all turned to our own way. And the Lord, that is God, punished him for the iniquity of us all. So here's the point. That's, if you combine this with what Paul says about Jesus in, 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 to the church at Philippi, here's what we're learning about Jesus. Jesus was willing to come and lay down his life for his subjects. He was willing to come, and instead of taking this high position where we're all serving him, he came to serve us. And he came to serve us with the ultimate sacrifice. That is, he came to lay down his life for us, to die for us. So you see, what kind of king is Jesus? Jesus is a king who's willing to put your needs above even his own. 
Alfred, Alfred Vanderbilt was uh, born into privilege. He was the grandson of Cornelius Vanderbilt. And Cornelius Vanderbilt was, uh, made, extreme, made, made himself extremely rich through shipping and railroads. They say his, his uh, fortune was worth $150 billion, our money, today. And he gave it to his son who doubled it. And then Alfred was the grandson or the son uh, of his father. And, and he took it and he made even more of it. And on April, uh, May, May 7, 1915, Alfred was crossing over to uh, England from our country to do business. And uh, he was on the Lusitania ship, and it was during World War I, and a German U-boat off the coast of Ireland hit the ship, and it began to sink. Now, Vanderbilt was a first-class citizen, a first-class passenger on the, on the ship. He had a right to a... Um, what do you call those lifeboats? He had a life jacket. And you know what? You know what he did? He gave up his life jacket. And then they said that not only did Vanderbilt give up his life jacket, but he spent the rest of the time as the ship was going down rescuing little children and putting them in the, in the lifeboats. And the last testimony of Alfred's life was that he was on the deck when the ship went down trying to shove children into, into the lifeboats. Vanderbilt's body was never found. Now, I tell you that story to say this. Vanderbilt wasn't on a mission to lay down his life, but he did. When it was needed, he was willing to lay down his life for others. I want to, you to understand that Jesus, as king, came on mission from the very beginning, knowing that he was going to be like Vanderbilt, that he was going to be laying down his life for others. Jesus recognized when he came as king that his creation needed him, though he was equal with God, though he was God, that he didn't need to grasp that or hold on to that, but that he would be willing to become like one of his creatures. And then not just to become like one of his creatures, i.e. us, but he was willing to even become a creature who had no political and power status in the world. He came as a servant. And then not just to be just a servant, but that he was willing to actually die. The creator was willing to die, uh, to die for us. That's the kind of king Jesus is. So, number two, what kind of king is Jesus? Well, he's the kind that's willing to put you ahead of himself. Number two, he's the kind of king who loves his subjects like a father. Now, let's be honest, that's the reason why he was willing to do the first thing I just said, because he loves us like a father loves his children. King Jesus is a parent. Je King Jesus is like a parent, excuse me, and he's willing to, to love his children in that manner. So to, to tell you why I know this, Jesus tells a story. And in this story, it's probably familiar to many of you, it's a, it's a real familiar story, but in this story, Jesus tells of a father who had two sons. And the youngest son, you know, it's not, it's not that I necessarily think he didn't. He hated his father, but really what he loved was himself. And so with no regard to his father, he said, Dad, I want my inheritance now because I really want to go live for myself now. That's kind of what he said. And the father was willing to give it. And he left the father, he left the home, and he took the inheritance. And we all know the story, but he basically wasted it. And, and having wasted it, he comes to a place where he's slopping pigs, and what he's eating is worse than he considers the, the hog food. But he sits there, and the Bible says he comes to his senses, and he remembers his home back home, and he remembers his dad, and he says, boy, my father's servants, man, they have it better than this. 
I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell dad, dad, I know I forfeited my right to be your son, but can I be one of your servants? Because I'd be faring much better if I did that than what I'm doing now. And of course, you know, he goes home. And, and here's what happens when he goes home. And this is what uh, Jesus, this is a story Jesus tells, and I'm quoting Jesus' words now. He says, so he got up and went to his father, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him, and he was filled with compassion, and he ran and threw his arms around his neck, and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son You know, he doesn't even get a chance to finish what he's planning on saying. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put my ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, then bring the fatted calf and and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again and he was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now Jesus tells this story to a bunch of people who are upset with him because he's loving people who are far from God. I mean, he's just caring about people who have sort of turned their back on God, and they're upset with that. How can you care for those people? And Jesus tells the story, and his point in telling the story, and it's what I want you to see about our king, our king loves us like a dad loves a son. That's the whole point of this. So the sons of this, the son of this father who is far away, the dad never stops loving him. And when he sees his son from far away, he runs to him. You know, what kind of king is this king that we serve? He's not one who just wants to rule over subordinates. He's a king who wants to be a dad. Listen, can I say this and you understand what I mean? He's a, he's a king who wants to be daddy to us. The Apostle Paul says that, that we cry out Abba, which is sort of like saying we cry out to God, daddy, you know. That's how intimate this king wants to be with us. But there's something else in the story. For those of you who know the story, that's only half of the story. And here's the other half. The other, story, the other half of the story is that he, as a father, loves us and is willing and wanting to reconcile to us as wayward sons, but he's also a father who gives us everything. Because as the story continues, the older brother, who didn't abandon dad, who loved dad, stayed with him, you know, worked the farm, etc. he comes home, and when he's far off, he hears the party, he finds out what's going on. He's upset. Because his younger brother who left, didn't care, took the money, you know, and he won't even come in. And the dad goes out to see the older brother. And, you know, when the older brother says, you know, this guy squandered everything and you haven't even given me a calf to celebrate with my, with my friends. And, you know, I, I love this story and I love this half of the thing because I felt like in some ways it reminded me of myself one day. But, but this, the dad is incredulous How have you missed this? How have you missed this? This is what he says to that son. He says, son, you have always, you you are with me always and everything I have is yours. Now here's the point. Son, you could have taken a calf and celebrated every single day with your friends because everything I have is yours. But, but we have to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours who is dead is alive again. Uh, he was lost and is found. I mean, here's this dad who cares and loves both sons. And, and he wants both sons to see the, the son who's far away. I love you and I've never stopped loving you. And the son that's always home, he wants that son to see everything that I have is your son. That's our king. That's this one that we call king. He loves us like that. 
You know, this week on, on the news, my wife says, why do we care? But it's been on the news every night almost. Queen Harry and Meghan, right? So Harry and Meghan, they decide, boy, we don't want to do the royal duty anymore. We want to go to Canada, right? And so there's a big hoopla about it. And then they have this family meeting. And what comes out of the, out of the family meeting is uh, Queen Elizabeth says, I'm going to give my grandson and his wife what they want. So here's the point. Queen Elizabeth's treating Harry not as a subject, but as a grandson. And here's the thing I want you to see about King Jesus. He treats us as children because that's what he says we are. We are his adopted children. You cannot just be part of the kingdom of God and, and Jesus be your king. You can have the king as your father. Number three, Jesus is a king who, who not just is willing to prioritize us and lay down his life for us, and he's not just a king who loves us like a father, but he's also a king who will rule us like a judge. All too often, you know, when it comes to painting a picture of King Jesus, we, we skew the picture. And I don't want to skew the picture this morning because, you know, as I've pointed out, Jesus is a father who is merciful and compassionate and giving and loving and kind. But Jesus also reminded us that in his kingship, he is also judge over all of us. So Paul, in, in the book of Acts, he, he's commenting on how Jesus has sent him out, how God has sent him out. He says, and he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly testify that this is the one, speaking about Jesus, who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. You don't need to miss this. You don't need to get a skewed picture of King Jesus. He is this father. He is this, this king who's willing to prioritize us, but he's also a king who at the end of all will be the judge of all. And Jesus tells this story. And, uh, and I want to share this story with you because I think it, it kind of couples with us both his mercy and his justice. So in this story uh, that Jesus tells, there's this king, and this king has a servant who owes him lots of money. And so he's, he's evidently, his time has come to stand before the king, and he comes in and he can't pay. I mean, they say that the number is so big that, that he couldn't pay it. I don't know if that's true or not, but, but it, was, it was a huge amount of money that he owed the king. And he comes in and he throws himself before the king in his mercy, and he says, please just give me time, please give me time. Don't throw me in debtor's prison. I will pay you back. And this benevolent king forgives that servant. Not, doesn't just say, yeah, I'm gonna give you more time. No, he says, I tell you what, look, I'm forgiving your debt, all of it. You don't owe me a dime, go. So he goes out and as the story goes, he walks down the street and he runs into a fellow servant who owes him money, but just a minuscule amount. And that guy does the same thing to him that he did to the king and says, man, have mercy on me. Don't throw me in debtor's prison. I'm going to pay you. I'm going to pay you what I owe you. And the Bible says in the story that Jesus told said, but that guy didn't have mercy on him. And he threw him in debtor's prison. And other servants who were watching this went and told the king what had happened. And we pick up the story and I'm going to read the words of Jesus. Then after, this is Jesus telling the story. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly 
Heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. Now, I tell you this, now the point that Jesus was making in that story was we better be forgiving people because God has been forgiving to us. That's the point. But the thing that I want you to see in that story is Jesus is not afraid of, of identifying himself as a judge. He's not afraid of identifying himself as a judge who at the end has no mercy upon his wicked servant. For those of us who suppress the truth and we harden our hearts, the Bible says that Jesus will become the cornerstone over which we will fall. And then it says he will become the cornerstone that will crush you. I don't remember what the context was, but, but we were talking about that verse and, and how, you know, if a big old cornerstone of, of the temple, one of those massive stones falls on you, I mean, you're done. It's going to crush you. And Jesus is, is not unafraid. The God, God of the Bible is not unafraid of saying that King Jesus will fall on us and crush us if we do not belong, if we do not belong to him. I remembered a story as I was working on this, and, and I don't know whether it's a true story or not. When I looked it up, there's several versions of it, so that kind of tells me it's probably not a true story, and it's just been, you know, used by preachers, but it's a great parable. So I'm going to tell it to you as a parable, right? So in this story, it was back in the horse and, and, and wagon day, uh, there was a horse that bolts with a wagon on the back of it, and in the back of it is a little child. And the horse is running wild. The little kid's life is at stake. And this man runs out into the street and, and grabs the horse, stops the horse, and saves the child's life. And, of course, everybody's grateful for that. Years go by. And, unfortunately, this child grows up to be a wicked person. And he's standing one day in court to be sentenced by the judge. And the prisoner and the judge know each other because the judge is the man who saved the child years earlier. And so the man says to the judge, you saved me once, can't you save me again? And the judge says to the man, he says, young man, when I, back then, I was your savior. Today, I am your judge and I must sentence you to be hanged. Though Jesus is merciful, he's also our judge. And so Paul tells Timothy, I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus who is going to judge the living and the dead because of his appearing and his kingdom. On the last day, King Jesus, our king, the king of the kingdom of God, he will be a father to some, he'll be a judge to others, and he'll be a savior to all who are willing to come to him. That's who our king is. Man, don't you love that king? I'm not, I'm not trying to emotionally move you. I'm just asking you. I mean, wouldn't it be something to have a king who puts himself after us in order to rescue us? Wouldn't it be nice to have a king who loves us as a father loves his children? And though you may not like this one, isn't it nice to have a king who's, who's just and righteous. I mean, we don't want his righteousness and his justice to fall on us, but isn't it nice to know that in the end, we serve and have a king who's going to do all things right? Doesn't that bless you? That's who our king, that's the king of the kingdom of God. Now, I want to end this morning by just, and again, my whole goal here is that you might get to know the king a little bit better. And so what I want to do in finishing is I want to share with you three desires that this king has of each one of us, right? And hopefully this will help you get to know the Lord, uh, this king, better. Okay, so here's the first one that I wrote down. What does King Jesus desire of me? What does he desire of you, his follower? Here's number one. 
He desires faith. What does he long to see in us? What, is king, what does the king want of us? He wants me to have faith. And, and so in the New Testament, we, we find two stories. And in one, Jesus marvels, and another, he's amazed. Let me read them to you. Here's the first one. And this is where he marvels. In Matthew, there's a story of Jesus entering Capernaum, and a centurion came to him, imploring him, and saying, Lord, my servant is, is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy of you to come under my roof, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and to another, uh, he goes, and to another, I say, come, and he comes, and to my slave, I say, do this, and he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and he said to those who were following, truly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. The story goes on, Jesus heals the centurion's son where he stands, right there. Here's another story. This is from Nazareth, and it's exactly, Nazareth, and it's exactly the opposite. Jesus said to them, I am a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown among his relatives and his household. He was not able to do a miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he, listen, and he was amazed at their unbelief. And he was going around in their villages teaching then it should impact us that our king marvels at great faith and is amazed by great unbelief. And the reason why this should say something to us is because our king says this, without faith, it's impossible to please him. So if you want to please God, listen, everyone, you must have faith. So here's what Paul wrote to the church at Rome. He says, so God forgives the sins of those who have faith. God did all this to prove that he does what is right. He is a God of mercy, so he did not punish for the sins the people who lived before Jesus lived. God did all this to prove in our time, in our own time, that he, what he does, that he, excuse me, that he does what is right. He also makes right with himself those who believe in Jesus. So who can brag? No one. Are people saved by the law that requires them to obey? Not at all. They are saved because of the law that requires faith. We firmly believe that a person is made right with God because of their faith. Here's what the Bible says pretty clearly, and most of you know it, that the penalty of your sin is death, okay? I'm as good as dead. I'm going to die because of my sin. And, and yet the Bible says that God desired for me not to die. He wanted me to live. And so he sent Jesus to die for me so that one day I could live again. And God says, you know how you get that applied to your life? It's not by being good because the truth is, you know, death came into the world through Adam and then it's, it goes to all of us because all of us have sinned. So I can't change the fact that I'm going to die because I'm a sinner. Jesus died for me, and God applies it to our life through faith, by believing. He says that the, the law of God, the law of God doesn't save. What saves us is faith. The works of righteousness don't save us. What, what saves us from death and gives us eternal life is that we believe the King. So again, what I'm asking you, I want you to see, what is this king, this king that I've been describing for you, what does he long for from you? And he longs for faith. He longs for you to believe him. He longs for you to trust him. He longs for you to rely on him, not on who you are and your goodness and how much you can try or how well you try. He longs for you to believe him and rest in him and know that he's going to rescue you from death. 
He's going to give to you eternal life. He looks for faith. Here's the second thing that I want to share with you that he looks for in you and me. He looks for integrity in us. If there's one thing Jesus wants, it's faith. If there's another thing that he detests, it's hypocrisy. It is duplicity. It is fakery. Listen to this exchange. Jesus says in Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you leaders of religious people, he says. You hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside, they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup so that the outside of it may also become clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Again, that's the religious leadership. Hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs which appear beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and uh, every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside, you seem righteous to people, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now in this exchange, six times Jesus calls them hypocrites. And if you look through your New Testament, there are several other times similar to this one, different than this one. He calls religious people hypocrites. Now here's the point that I want you to get and I don't want you to miss, and that is that God desires... King Jesus desires in us sincerity, truthfulness, faithfulness, uh, integrity. He wants us to be real all the way through. So he tells his followers something like this. He says, don't swear on this or that, but let your, what does he say? Let your, let your yes be your yes and your no be no. What, what is he really getting at? It's really not about what you say, is it? He's saying, let your, let your life be one of integrity. So when you say, when you do, I mean, it is who you are. Now, in the ancient world, this idea, this word for hypocrisy and integrity, it comes from dishonest merchants. And dishonest merchants were people who would take a, a, a vase or a pot that was cracked and would leak, and they would put wax in it, and then they would seal it, and they would sand it or whatever, and then they would paint it so you wouldn't be able to see the crack. So you get it, put hot liquid in it, the wax melts, your pot's really no good. And, and so hypocrisy came the idea of having wax. Sincerity came, the idea, came with it the idea of, of not being filled with wax. Here's what Jesus is saying he wants from us. Metaphorically, he wants no wax in our life. Metaphorically, he wants us to be truthful, real, without duplicity, without fakery. In other words, who you are is who you are. Billy Graham said there's three, there's three people in each one of us. There's the person that I think I am, there's the person that you think I am, and there's the person that God knows that I am. And Billy Graham was saying, and here's what I want you, this is what God desires of you, that the person that you think you are and the person that others think you are and the person that you are before God, those are all the same person. There's not a different persona put forward depending on who you're with or what the opportunity is in your life. You are the same person all the time. Speaking about integrity, Dwight D. Eisenhower said this. He said, in order to be a leader, a, leader, a man must have followers, and to have followers, a man must have their confidence. Hence, the supreme quality of a leader is unquestionably integrity. Without it, no real success is possible. No matter whether it is on a section gang, on a football field, in the army, or in the office, if a man's associates find him guilty of phoniness, if they find that he lacks forthright integrity, he will fail. His 
teachings and actions must square with each other. The first great need, therefore, is integrity and high purpose. Now, I don't want you to see that statement just in the context of leadership. I want you to see that in the context of what Jesus, I think Jesus would absolutely agreed with our 34th president, that that's what every one of us need. And all of us have leadership in some area. Listen, moms, maybe you're a stay-home mom and you, and you got children at home. You're, they're looking for integrity in you. If they don't see integrity in you, they're not going to grow up with respect for you or following you, and they're not going to care about the God you say you follow if you're not a person of integrity. And dads, that's the same thing that's true with us. Men, women, listen to me. Here's what King Jesus wants of all of us. He wants us to be people filled with faith, trusting him, relying on him, resting in him and his love and mercy, not in our goodness. But he also wants us to be people of absolute truthfulness and integrity in whatever sphere we find ourselves in. And then the third thing I wrote down is, what is, what is Jesus, King Jesus, looking for in me? And here's the third word I wrote down, investment. Jesus is looking for in his followers, investment in his kingdom. He's looking for you and me to be serving, given to, invested in his kingdom, in his, in his reign, and in his kingdom that is here now and coming in the future. And Jesus told a lot of stories about this, and uh, I picked one of them. And it's similar to some other stories. Details are a little bit different, but I picked one story. Let me read it to you. Jesus, this is Jesus, for the kingdom of heaven is just like a man about to go on a journey. Remember, this is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Those terms are used interchangeably. He says it's like a man going on a journey. And he called his own servants and he entrusted his possessions to them. And let me state the obvious before I keep reading. The man going on the journey is Jesus. The man going on the journey is King Jesus who's returned to heaven and he rules in our lives as king over us from his, from his seat and throne in heaven and he's coming back again, okay? So he's the guy who's going away on the journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. That's you and me. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one, one talent, depending on one's ability. And then he went on a journey. Immediately, the man who had received the five talents went to, went to work, put him to work, earning five more. In the same way, the man who had uh, with two earned two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And the, ma and the man who had received the five talents approached and presented five more talents and said, Master, you gave me five talents? See, I've earned five more talents. His master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many. Share in your master's joy. Then the man who had two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more. He said, his master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Share in your master's joy. Then the man who had received the one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're harsh, a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown, gathered where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and I, and I hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master replied to, them, to him, you evil, lazy servant. 
If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gathered where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers and I would have at least received my money back with interest when I return. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, much more will be given and he will have, uh, and, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him and throw his good for nothing, throw this good for nothing servant out in the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I chose that story because he uses the word talents. Now, talent there is money. And a talent, they, they don't know exactly, but they think that a talent would have been worth about a million to a million and a half dollars in our money right today. So that would have been, he gave to the first guy 10 to 15 million, to the second guy four to five million, I think it is. And of course, the, the last guy one and a half million. But I chose talents because, you know, the point here isn't the money. The point, Jesus isn't talking about money here. He's talking about investment in his master's kingdom. And I chose talents because talents in our day and age, it, you know, it doesn't mean money anymore. Talents represents our abilities and the things that we've been given. You know, our, those things that we have been entrusted with, our abilities, our talents, our skills, those sort of things. And so I really want you to see this story as Jesus telling us that he's given us these things that he wants us to invest in, in the kingdom of God. And uh, so the kingdom of God is here already, but it's not yet, okay? So Jesus is coming back. That's what the story talks about here. And, and he says, what I want you to do while we're in this in-between period, between when I've established the kingdom and when I come back, is I want you to be invested. I want you to be invested in my kingdom work. That's a word for all of us today, investment. Now notice a couple of things about the servants. Notice this, that they were each given different amounts. So you know, you're not all the same in this room. Some of you are really, really talented. Some of you are maybe not so talented, but you have some gifts and abilities. The, the issue isn't, you know, he gave talents according to their abilities. He gives us he gives us abilities according to how he's created us, okay? But he expected them to use those in the same way. Now notice that uh, the different servants, though they, they, uh, they uh, got different amounts, notice that their reward, the ones who were faithful, their reward was the same. Did you notice that? I mean, it's exactly the same. They got a well done from the king. You have done well. Come on in, I'm gonna put you in charge of much more because of your faithfulness. But notice the last servant who didn't invest in the, in the kingdom but buried it because he was afraid. Please notice that the king is not pleased with that. Not only is he not pleased, what does he say about that man? He says, man, you, you should have at least been doing the least of things. It doesn't even require you to do You should have been doing that. And, and then at the end, he says, man, you don't even belong in my kingdom. Throw him out. Get him out of my kingdom. He doesn't even belong in my kingdom. Jesus is not pleased when we, when we bury our abilities. I, uh, I saw a cartoon, and in this cartoon, uh, there is a woman who's lying on her bed, and she's obviously miserably sick and not getting up. And the sink has got dishes all piled up in it, and there's a huge basket of laundry over to the side, and there's two children fighting, and they're dirty, and there's a cat licking over a cup of milk that spilled on the floor, and there's a woman standing in the doorway, and she, here's the caption underneath this cartoon, and y'all get the picture, right? Here's the caption. Well, Florence, if there is anything I can do to help, don't hesitate to let me know. 
Now, I, I, I tell you, I tell you, I think that represents too often the larger church. And can I say this? I, I think it's possible that it could represent us in our church too. And what I mean by that is that we look around us and we're always saying, God, if there's something you want me to do, there's something you want me to do, just tell me. When all around us, the needs of the kingdom are great. So just things that, that we need as a church family in the kingdom, Sunday school workers and youth workers, I mean, we're always lacking there. And, and visitors and new people need someone who's be willing to befriend them and open their lunch table to, to get to know them and bring them in and make them feel a part. There's ministries, all kinds of ministries that need dedicated workers. You know, our facilities need help with cleaning and, and mowing and maintaining and improving. There are always places where you can invest in ministry. But you know what? There's, there's all kinds of channels that you can create for ministry too. If none of those are where your talents or abilities are, and again, a lot of times it's not talents and abilities, it's just your willingness to serve. And uh, so it's your willingness to serve and clean toilets and, and vacuum and, and do all kinds of things like that. But, but you also have talents and abilities and you can look and see places in places that you can create new investments in the kingdom. And I don't want to embarrass them, but, you know, so forgive me in advance. You can be mad at me, but I hope you don't hold it against me. But Dick Lane, so Dick Lane semi-retires, and he's saying, God, I want you to use me. And you know what he thought of? I can create this little five-minute encouraging talk. And now he sends it to over 400 people, you know? And that's just, you know, it's seeing a need and investing and then there's Anna who comes here and says, wow, we've got all these new moms. I want to start this, I want to start this mom-to-mom ministry and so that we can mentor these new moms and all of you moms. And I tell you, on Thursday, you want to be amazed? Come here Thursday and watch all the women, older women, who give infrastructure so that these younger mothers can have some folks mentor them and everybody's taking care of their children. It is absolutely amazing. But there's Anna seeing a need. And then there's Amy. And Amy says, you know, I really want to minister at the nursing home. And so Amy teams up with Lou and now they go to the nursing home trying to serve the seniors there and just minister to them in some way. And I know by pointing these three out, I'm leaving lots of you kingdom servants out. I, I'm, I'm just trying to make a point. Gee, what is the king, this king looking for in us? And he's looking for us to be willing to invest in his kingdom, our resources. And, it's, and, and listen, that investment, it's not just a one-time, oh, I did my investment back when I was 32 years old. I, I mean, I worked in the children's department when I was 32 years old. You know, bless my wife. We've been here 33 years. She's been in the children's department helping with kids for almost all 33 years. Investing in the kingdom isn't a one-time thing. It's a lifetime investing in the kingdom of God until the king comes back, right? That's the story Jesus told. When the master came back, he brought them in to give an account. My goal, my goal and your goal should be to invest in the kingdom. Let me ask you just a question, just a rhetorical question, no answer needed, just in your own heart. But you who claim kingdom allegiance, are you investing in the kingdom or are you sitting on your talents and abilities and burying them rather than investing them in the growing kingdom of God?
That's just a rhetorical question. So I'm finished. I want to recap for you. I just kind of want to walk back through my points again. What is this king like that we love and serve? You know, well, here's what he's like. He's willing to sacrifice for you. Seriously, he's, he was willing to put you above his needs. And, you know, I know, you know, there's, there's you know, we can't fly with, with two, we have to fly with two wings of truth, right? We need to walk in the, in the center of biblical tension. And, and, guys, it's not all about us. I get that. It's about our king. It really is ultimately about our king and his love for his creation. But on the other hand, don't miss this truth that this great king was willing to give his all, if you would, for you and me. So he's willing to prioritize us and sacrifice himself for us. This king loves us like a father loves his subjects. I mean, like a father who loves his sons and daughters, not just like a king who has subjects under him. And this king, I mean, he's going to judge us one day. And all of us fall short, and that's why we die. But this king was willing to die for us so that you can have eternal life with your loved ones and with King Jesus forever and ever with this king who loves us. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. Would you do that with me? Everybody, bow your heads. And I'd like to ask you to close your eyes. So this is just between you and God. But I want to invite you right now to follow my king. I want to invite you to join me in the kingdom of God and say, yep, I'm a part of this kingdom. I am choosing today to follow this king. You said, Jim, I don't know how to do that, but I want to. Well, it's, it's, it's the heart. God looks on the heart. He knows your heart. We look on the outside, but God looks on the heart. And right now, he's looking on your heart. And if you're willing, just in your heart, say something from your heart to him like this. Oh, King Jesus, I love you. I recognize that you love me and died for me, and I want to follow you. Just tell him that in your heart. I am willing. I want to follow you. Would you tell him that in your heart? It's something so simple. Jesus, thank you for being this king who loved me, loves me, who is willing to lay down his life for me. But yet I know, I know you're righteous and, and I need a savior. I need someone to rescue me and I want to be a part of your kingdom. Whatever your words, you just tell him in your heart. You don't have to say it out loud. He reads your heart. Amen. So look up at me. You know, if that's you today saying, I want that, I want to be a part of that kingdom, but I'm not, I want to today. Hey, tell me, please tell me. Let me help you. Let me tell you more about this king. There's so much more I could tell you about him. But tell me, Jimmy, today I am beginning to follow King Jesus. Let me know. You can write it on your bulletin. You can grab me afterwards and tell me, but tell me. Now, the other three points, my other three points that uh, what I want you to know about the king, here's what he wants. Here, when he looks at our lives, here's what he wants to see in me. He wants to see faith in me. He wants to see integrity in me. And he wants to see me invested in the kingdom. Let's bow our heads again. I'm going to pray for those of us that are part of the kingdom. Father, we, uh, we come to you this morning in faith. Lord, we by faith believe that you came from heaven to die for us, that you lived and you died and you rose again. And today you're seated at the right hand of God the Father in your heaven and we wait for your return and the establishment of your kingdom. And Lord, we, we believe that you're gonna raise us from the dead and that we will live forever with you and with one another. And what joy, 
What joy, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Lord, we pray, though, that you would grow our faith. We want to trust you more. We want to trust you when when it's hard and it's difficult and things maybe aren't going our way. We want to trust that you love us and that you're not going to leave us and you're going to help us and carry us. So, Lord, grow our faith. Increase every one of our faith. Increase our faith that we might be faithful men and faithful women loving you. Lord, we pray this morning that... um, You would help us to be real, that there wouldn't be any wax in our life, Lord, that we wouldn't be covering up, you know, big old failures in our life, but instead we would be bringing them into light, confessing them to one another, you know, getting you to heal and fix that, not with wax, but but fixing it right from the very start. Lord, thank you that that uh, we can be men and women of integrity and who I am privately can be who I am publicly and who I am in my heart is who you know me to be. And Lord, we just want to pray for integrity of heart. Every one of us who follow you, we want to be people of integrity. And then finally, Father, help us to invest our lives in your kingdom. Thank you for letting us be a part of this. Thank you for giving us a role in it. Thank you for equipping us and preparing us and giving us gifts and talents and fruits of the spirit so that we can we can affect the world around us lord may everybody in surrey and alawite county take note of us may they see that we love you and that we're different and that we follow you and may they be drawn to you and us lord help us to invest our lives our abilities our resources help us to invest everything we have in your kingdom because you and you alone are worthy And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Be blessed.